Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, I bring to you a message based on Scripture and our faith to help you live a meaningful and faithful life. I speak from a Christian perspective, but I intend for my message to be accessible for people from any faith tradition, or even if you're not affiliated with any organized faith community. This week, I'm going to begin with a challenge that Jesus makes to his followers for us to become a shining city on a hill that will draw the whole world to his truth. This message was taken to heart by the early Christian churches and still is valid today. It's also a message that has been seen as a challenge for America since the founding of our country. Today I ask, Are we living out our calling to be a beacon of light and truth in the world? Jesus said to a large group who had gathered for his teaching and healing, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket or on the lampstand, but it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We tend to think of our faith as a personal thing confined to our own lives, our families, and at the most to our church. Of course, churches see themselves as serving their communities as well. But Jesus is speaking in even wider terms. He says that if we follow his teachings, we are to be a light to the whole world. That's a pretty ambitious task. It was a task that was taken up by John Winthrop in a 1630 sermon that he delivered before his group of pilgrims about to set out on the ship Arabella from Southampton, England, on their way to settle the Boston colony in the New World. He preached, The Lord will be our God, and our delight will dwell among us as his own people and will command a blessing upon us in all our ways, so that we shall see much more of his wisdom, power, goodness, and truth than formerly we are acquainted with. We shall find that the God of Israel is among us, when ten of us shall be able to resist a thousand of our enemies, when he shall make us a praise and glory, that men shall say of succeeding plantations, May the Lord make it like that of New England. For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. Winthrop was looking forward to what America would become. Of course, America did not even exist yet. He saw the faithful people people moving to the new world as God's chosen people, and the city on a hill 
Jerusalem. The founding fathers, however, would take a more secular approach. America, though many of its early settlers were fleeing religious persecution, would be a land founded upon religious freedom, where anyone could freely practice their religion or could live their lives free from religious institutions or governments. Many later American politicians would claim the imagery of America as a city on a hill. On January 9, 1961, President-elect John F. Kennedy employed the phrase during an address delivered to the General Court of Massachusetts. He said, I have been guided by the standard of John Winthrop, set forth by before his shipmates on the flagship Arabella 331 years ago, as they too face the task of building a new government on a perilous frontier. We must always consider, he said, that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. Today the eyes of all people are truly upon us, and our governments in every branch, at every level, national, state, and local, must be as a city upon a hill, constructed and inhabited by men aware of their great trust and their great responsibilities. For we are setting out upon a voyage in 1961 no less hazardous than that undertaken by the Arabella in 1630. We are committing ourselves to tasks of statecraft no less awesome than that of the governing of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, beset as it was, was by the terror without and disorder within. History will not judge our endeavors, and governments cannot be selected merely on the basis of color or creed or even party affiliation. Neither will competence and loyalty and stature, while essential to the utmost, suffice at times such as these. For of those to whom much has been given, much is required. Although Kennedy's religious background was of concern when he was elected, he was the first Roman Catholic elected to the office, he didn't make specific religious references in his speech. The lights that beamed from his city on a hill were freedom, justice, and equality. He saw American exceptionalism in terms of democratic leadership among all nations. Another president who became famous for his use of the term a city on a hill was Ronald Reagan. In his 1989 farewell address, Reagan said, I've spoken of the shining city all my political life, but I don't know if I ever quite communicated what I saw when I said it. But in my mind, it was a tall, proud city, built on rocks stronger than the oceans, wind-swept, God-blessed, and teeming with people of all kinds, living together in harmony and peace, a city with free ports that hung with commerce and creativity. And if there had to be walls, the walls had doors, and the doors were open to anyone with the will and the heart to get there. 
That's how I see it and how I see it still. Notice that although Reagan was known as a religious man, his only religious reference is that America is God-blessed. His vision of the city is a dynamic land of peace and harmony, productivity and commerce. The beacon that would draw people of all kinds was that of opportunity and the possibility of a better life. Reagan's dreams of peace and harmony agree with Christian values, but he still did not envision America as a totally Christian nation. It would still be a land of religious diversity and freedom. U.S. Senator Barack Obama also made reference to the topic in his commencement address on June 2, 2006 at the University of Massachusetts in Boston, where he said, It was right, right here in the waters around us where the American experiment began. As the earliest settlers arrived on the shores of Boston and Salem and Plymouth, they dreamed of building a city upon a hill. And the world watched, waiting to see if this improbable idea called America would succeed. More than half of you re represent the very first member of your family to ever attend college. In the most diverse university in all New England, I look out at a sea of faces that are African-American and Hispanic-American and Asian-American and Arab-American. I see students that have come here from over a hundred different countries, believing like those first settlers that they too could find a home in this city on a hill, that they too could find success in this unlikeliest of places. Obama, joining Reagan, saw the New Jerusalem in America as a place of diversity and opportunity for all. America would be a special place to which people would flock and aspire to become a part of. The question we now ask is if America is still a city on a hill, a beacon of hope and light to the world. There was probably no time in history when our nation was more truly lived up to its calling in the world than during World War II. Although we reluctantly entered the fray, by the end of the war, America emerged as a military, economic, and nuclear superpower. During the Cold War, we were pitted against the USSR for global domination. With the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, it seemed that America would once again become the city on a hill, shining a beacon of democracy and freedom into a troubled world. But that world has changed again. We are confronted with many globalizing forces that threaten to knock us off our perch atop the hill. Although America is still a leader in the world's economy, emerging economies in Asia present a growing challenge. We still possess the world's most potent military force. Russia, China, and North Korea are flexing their military might. And we are now only one of many nations 
possessing usable nuclear weapons. America's vision of its exceptional self is often not seen as a cause for celebration, but as a reason for resentment, even among our European and other global allies. Being a city on a hill comes with inherent challenges, not the least of which is immigration. Ronald Reagan's aspirational dream of a land teeming with all kinds of people is being tested. The people inscribed on the Statue of Liberty, the tired, the poor, the huddled masses yearning to breathe free, by their very numbers, are testing our resolve to become the ultimate refuge of freedom and hope in the world. The eyes of the world, when turned toward America in recent years, have seen a flickering of the light on the hill. It flickered most disturbingly during the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. On that day, it seemed that democracy and the sanctity of our union were being tested. We survived the test in the short term, but continuing political division and discord point to a widening crack in the Liberty Bell. I don't think this is what any of our forefathers, including John Winthrop, envisioned as a city on a hill. The old idea of American exceptionalism must be abandoned. We live in a complicated world where technology and the ease of access to information have leveled the economic and industrial playing field. Nuclear weapons have leveled the battleground and global terror networks have shown their power to challenge the world's most powerful military. Domestic social problems are also dimming our light shining on a hill. Gun violence, mass murders, and street crime have produced a new kind of exceptionalism, exceptional violence. America is still a wonderful place to live, but the prevalence of poverty, homelessness, drug abuse, and lack of medi adequate medical care for many of our citizens make America a less appealing place to live than it used to be. Now don't get me wrong, I'm a proud American, and I'm not ready to give up on America being that shiny city on a hill. We just must reimagine that city. Or rather than reimagine, we need to go back to what John Winthrop envisioned. Later on in his sermon, where he sees America as a city on a hill, he invokes the prophet Micah, who wrote, With whom shall I go before the Lord, and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In the times of Micah, in the old Jerusalem, the religious and political leaders had come to seeing their ideal in terms of a beautifully ornate temple 
where worshipers would come in throngs to pay tribute to God with elaborate and expensive offerings of rams and olive oils. But Micah puts it more simply as to what the Lord actually requires, and that is, act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Micah has given us a new blueprint for our shining city. It is, first of all, a place where we act justly. In speaking of acting justly or practicing justice, he's not talking in legal or judicial terms. He's talking about a society where all people are treated fairly. Micah included in this realm of fair treatment not only the people of Israel. He extended just treatment to the aliens and refugees in their midst, of which there were many. For us, we need only hearken back to that inscription on the Statue of Liberty that I mentioned earlier. Micah also said that God requires mercy of us. Another way of putting that is that we should be a nation with a heart. We should look at the people of our nation and our world with love and compassion and treat them accordingly. We should seek ways to develop social policies to care for the poor and the hungry and the drug addicted. We should work hard on immigration policies that address the hard task of caring for refugees and immigrants with charity and compassion. This as opposed to a truly heartless regime that we see in Putin's Russia, which seeks to solve its problems with military might and oppression. Micah's final prescription may be the most important and the hardest to achieve. We are to walk humbly with our God. America's greatness will not be defined by what's bigger and better and richer. Instead, it is defined by the moral idea of an America that transcended material abundance and power. It is an idea of an America that is strengthened by its diversity, social justice, and tolerance. If there is to be an American exceptionalism, let it be a spiritual exceptionalism. And then our light will shine forth from a city on a hill once more. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you and be gracious unto you. May God's light shine upon you. And may you in turn be a light unto the world.